Welcome back, everybody. Arthur Staple here. You're listening to the Garden Faithful podcast, your Rangers podcast from The Athletic. Uh, belated happy Thanksgiving. We took last week off, so uh, my co-host, Steve Aliquette, could do a little skiing with his family. Steve, how'd that all go? Uh, 26 runs Friday, 29 runs Sunday. And at the World Cup, women's downhill in Killington, Vermont on Saturday. Phenomenal event. The women fly. I couldn't believe it. Uh, it was very emasculating for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, who's counting the the, the ski runs? But, uh, uh, but anyway, my, my app. My <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. Uh, welcome back, and welcome back to everybody listening. Uh, we're probably recording at a good time this week because if maybe we'd done it a couple of days earlier, it would have been a lot of gloom and doom. Given the previous two games, the coughed up three nothing lead in the third period to Edmonton, the two uh, nothing lead they gave up, and then got steamrolled really by the Red Hot Devils. But last night, some positivity, a 3-1 win over the Ottawa Senators up in Ottawa, who come to the Garden tomorrow night, Friday, for the first of three straight at home for the Rangers. Um, Yaroslav Locke gets his first win in a Ranger uniform and uh, joins a very exclusive club, of which my co-host is a part. Locke is the 10th goalie to win a game for both the Rangers and the Islanders. Uh, and we're going to put Steve on the on the clock at the end of the show <laughs> to see if he can guess the other eight since he is also one of them. So we're down to just eight that he needs to get. But um, watching that one last night, uh, big sigh of relief in the post game. watching the interviews for, for Halak, probably a big sigh of relief for everybody else that they were able to close out a game that they were up by a couple goals in and, and gave up the, you know, gave up one, maybe thought, here we go again, but, uh, but they held strong and it was very simple style, style of offensive game. A lot of low to high, not a lot of East West Ryan Lindgren with three primary assists. Uh, some traffic around the net, uh, a good team to do it against in Ottawa, who doesn't seem to defend the net front really at all, or not very well. Um, what'd you see last night, Steve? And, and what'd you like that the, that at least the Rangers could start to carry forward here? The energy around the team, it had to change. And I think that to change the energy and to understand what certain things have to happen, uh, usually it's something big, right, Arthur? It's it's a it's a big trade. It's a core piece that gets traded. It's a coaching change. It's sometimes sending uh, multiple players down to the American Hockey, American Hockey League, or it's a goaltender stealing a win that maybe you don't deserve to win. And sometimes, and I've been on the side of this, the backup goalie goes in and has a big performance. And I can tell you right now that in 07, we beat St. Louis at home in the game that I played. And then we went on a massive run and got in. And we did that in 08 uh, when we beat Philadelphia at home in a game that we were down. Um, Henrik came out, I went in, we came back and won in a shootout. And then we went on a massive tear and got into the playoffs. And I remember in my postseason exit meetings with the coaching staff, both times they said those two games changed the course of our season. And I, I got a bit of bravado off of that being able to think that i was a part or an impact piece of what happened that year and i know that halak knows that the feeling around the team the energy had to change and that right now this team doesn't have confidence in itself to secure a win when they're up and there's enough evidence to support that right now but what he did last night that could be uh, changing the course of what's happening in this season now if we were to say and this is in theory, but it's also what I believe in, in experience is that every team has an energy around it. And right now it's been hard because being a contender has been a weight that the team hasn't been able to carry that well. It's been a burden. And when they wake up before that game yesterday morning in Ottawa, Arthur, 
they're not a contender anymore. Mm-hmm. They're an underdog. And they're right back to where they were November 30th of last year. So they go into the game last night. And I think there's a little bit of free will there. And emotionally, you get connected to. And that chip now resides right on your shoulder one more time. And the journey, which is always the fun part, it begins. And we're underdogs and it's us against the world. And what's going to happen is at some point, they're going to get through this. I feel like they're destined to go on a run because they're doing a lot of little things behind the scenes that I think are going to help them be able to go on a run. And when they do go on a run, at some point, they're going to go through the steps that are trade deadline. You've played so well, you force the GM to help you with some pieces. And then at some point, you get that contender tag back again. And hopefully the second time you get it, you're able to respond better because you've gone through this experience. That's that's the way I see it. There were a couple of tweaks to the to the skater lineup. Uh, Vitaly Kravtsov comes in. Um, Ryan Carpenter goes up. Barkley Goodrow drops down to the fourth line. Goodrow scores a very nice goal to and then end up stands up as the winner at the second one. Um, Kravtsov healthy scratch for the previous six. Um, you know, all there's been a lot of drama around him. He's a very very nice young man, uh, very affable. But that sort of belies how it's been between him and the organization through his time since he's been drafted. You know, some not really happy in the minors, asking out, going back to Russia, uh, some conflicts with with Chris Drury. Um, when you see him out there, and he, you know he was fine, played whatever ten minutes or so. You know, had a couple of good moments, took a dumb offensive zone penalty, which is going to drive everybody crazy if you're a guy who plays limited minutes. But do you feel like you know? They had and they've had something good through all of these last few games with that Carpenter, Sammy Blay, Julian Gauthier fourth line. They break that up a little bit, drop Goodrow down, and now they've got a little bit more skill heavy top nine. Um, do you think Kravtsov can find a, a, a role in this team going forward? I mean, it, it's been hard to see whether he could because of the injuries and then he didn't get back in. But uh, but does he fit a little bit better than maybe Goodrow does in that top nine for you? I just think the learning has to be fast, Arthur, and it's mostly away from the puck. All right. And I'm going to break down an example from last night that I saw that that just really rings true to me as a former goalie. And it's a two-on-one where Trocek hits the post. And if you remember that two-on-one, the back check was pretty tight and Kravtsov has some room. They get over the blue line together and the timing was impeccable. But at that moment, Kravtsov needs to know that he has to drive back post and get himself to the bottom of the circle as fast as possible, not just to be a passing option. The defenseman that was playing it for Ottawa was playing it very well. The back check was coming. But what Kravtsov chose to do there was hang back and look for a pass. And now Trocek, as a righty, is on his backhand. He'd have to backhand sauce it to the top of the circle on the other side of the ice to make a successful pass at which point Kravtsov wants to one-time the puck. But that's not the play right there. That's Mm -hmm. a turnover ready to happen. Furthermore, the reason why, and part of the reason why the Rangers have hit so many posts this season is because the goaltenders are able to lock onto the shooters too frequently when there's no passing option. If Kravtsov is doing the right thing there, in my opinion, to help himself help his teammate, help his team, it would be driving back post because now Cam Talbot cannot lock on Trocek with all of his focus, and he'll be more susceptible to getting beat on the clean shot. Trocek hits the post. I think you can get a better scoring chance than that if Kravtsov knows where offense comes from at this level. It's not 
it's not junior, it's not college, and it's not Europe where there's a lot of perimeter play and, and outside play for a lot of the European guys. I played in Russia for two years. And I think that the one of the conversations that, that definitely happens around the draft every year, Arthur, is, all right, he had six goals in the KHL. That's like getting 26 in the OHL. And I don't believe that because when I was in Russia with young guys that aren't getting an opportunity to play a lot, you go through a draft year where you only have whatever it is, six, nine, ten, whatever goals, and then you're kind of six years into your career and you've never consistently scored. So I just think that the NHL is not a development league, um, but the way the system's set up right now is that you have to have entry-level contracts under your cap to fit, and guys are getting rushed. And in a perfect world, a lot of the young guys on – a lot of the teams in the NHL wouldn't be in the NHL. They'd be developing these skills and making these mistakes in the minors. Mm -hmm. But if you're asking, does he have to be up right now because it has to fit with money? I mean, that's just the way it is. So not the best for the kid or not the best for the player or any of the guys in that, in that circumstance for me in the NHL right now. I think there's a lot of rushing. And, and if, if that's just the way it is, I mean, it's just the way it is. I'm unfortunate for a lot of these guys in their careers because I think it's making it harder on them, Arthur. I don't think uh, – he or a lot of these guys are ready for this level. That's all. Yeah. Uh, someone who looked really good last night was Jimmy Vesey and has looked, you know, pretty decent throughout the throughout this last little stretch here. I think it's six points in the last ten games for him. And and you know, whatever you say about where he should play, and and I, you know, I love our commenters on the on our on the site who who dive right in and debate me, debate each other about what they think the lineup should look like. And I definitely got some pushback in writing that Jimmy VC is the right guy for that top line with Chris Kreider and Mika Zibanejad right now. And I don't think it's a long-term plan. Obviously it's, you know, it's a guy that you signed off the street, essentially on a tryout in for playing for the league minimum, which is also a help to what you were saying before you need guys who are making less than a million dollars a year to contribute because they're, you're going to have to have them on your roster. Um, Jimmy VC has turned from being a guy who thought he was, a top six guy. I think when he came in as a very heralded college free agent to a guy who knows himself a lot better. And I think you just watch the play that he made on that, on his goal where he knows to be the guy that hangs back as Lindgren follows his own dump in, knows exactly when to step up on the boards to keep the play alive as Lindgren is fading back towards the point, And he knows to stop in front of the net, which is exactly what he did. And nobody else on the senators did. And he was right there for the rebound. So, you know, he's playing with guys who know how to do that stuff too. But those guys are relied on to score goals and contribute and be leaders and play in all situations. And it feels to me like you were talking before, there's just not the, there's just a fragility to this team right now after the previous two losses and some other blown leads they've had this season where they don't feel confident. And you don't mind having a guy like Jimmy Vesey who maybe has a has a harder ceiling to his skill level but also a much better structure to his game and knowledge to his game than maybe if you put a Lafreniere there or a Kako there. Mm -hmm. And he really, to me, shined through in a game that they just needed simplicity and structure to be able to beat an inferior team last night. There's, there's a lot to unpack there. And I think the first part is that Jimmy Vesey was brought here initially on his first tour to be a core player, right, Arthur? And yeah. he was recruited in and he's going to be a future core player. Okay, so for whatever reason, it didn't work out. And now he is being asked to be a fringe player, a player on the outside of the core that can help the core and support the team and play a significant role. Right now, once again, back to the salary cap, 
and, and a lot of teams are doing this. They have like the entry level contract or the <clears throat> minimum salary contract on the first line. Just have to do it because the money fits. Can Jimmy Vesey with his talent and skill set understand that I have to play hard on the walls? I got to be first on the forecheck. I got to dig the puck out. I got to play a net front game that uh, some of my teammates are playing and willing to play like a Chris Kreider. And here's the thing that I love about his goal last night. He did everything right below the goal line to get that puck with all the support that he had. Uh, Lindgren was first on the forecheck. He gives Lindgren time to get back on a switch. He fills in for Lindgren. He did. And then if you watch it on the replay too, he stops in front, comes to a hard stop, no mm -hmm. BS in his game, gets right net front. And the Tim Stutzla wave at the puck from the high slot comes in like uh, Cam Talbot's a contestant on The Price is Right playing Plinko. <laughs> so it bounces down off the pad. And now VZ turns and he bangs home a goal. And what happened last night is buy-in. He, he buys in. Goudreau buys in. Kreider, of course, is bought into this. But Batherson was late on Goudreau uh, on that goal. He was trying to get into the shooting lane. And for the second time in the night, Lindgren be able to sift one by him. And then on Kreider's goal, same thing, Lindgren sifts it in. What we're seeing here is trust being built uh, back up with the lineup where Lindgren's not taking anybody's head off with these plays. These entry shots from the point that Lindgren brought in, they were all there for a purpose. And there's such a bond there, right, Arthur? Like these guys come off the ice after scoring and look down the bench and say, like, absolutely, I will stay there all day for you when you keep sifting those in like that because – I'm not in danger, mm -hmm. you know? And like, I don't know if you remember this one last year, but in uh, game four against Pittsburgh, Panarin almost took off Kreider's head. He hit him in the throat and he went off the ice immediately. Right. And it was off a ricochet in the high slot. It wasn't, uh, there was no intent there. But you can't help when you're a player to not want to go back there when that's happened to you. You know, you, you can't even blame them. And, and you remember the year that uh, Zuccarello got his head taken off by McDonough. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like, you you almost never want to go back there. Uh, I'll never forget Scott Gomez saying to me once, Valley, I am afraid of the puck. You know, like, I don't <laughs> want to get hit by it. Do you understand? Like, there are some players in the NHL that are that fearful of getting smoked by the puck because it hurts so much. And they're not covered in their face. Their, their upper bodies are barely covered. And uh, I just feel that there's a trust now that after this game, the Rangers scored three goals the same way. Yeah. Net front presence with a lot of great work before that to set it up. Battles that were won. Like Goudreau absolutely outmuscled two defenders in front. On, on Kreider's goal, Stutzel and Zub, they, didn't, they couldn't even figure out who was going to grab Kreider. After the goal went in, Stutzel's arms were up. Did you, did you see that? I did. You know? Did. And I'm like, what are these guys doing? You don't get a lot for your eight times 8.3 and a half these days, <laughs> yeah. I guess. In the deep, no. Right? So, uh, you know... I'm looking at this Ottawa team and they're not that far off. They're not that far off, but they make three small mistakes on three plays that they could have helped themselves on. And they find ways to lose in a game that the Rangers found a way to win. We'll, we'll touch on one of the kind of not growing concern. It's certainly been a concern and that's Jacob Truba. Um, Gallant did tweak his D pairs, the Miller, the Keandre Miller, Jacob Truba pair, which has been a pair for, couple of years now switch those guys up you went with zach jones and truba keandre miller and Braden schneider lo and behold the one goal that ottawa scores is off a bit of a breakdown with that jones truba pair mostly with jones and with barkley goodrow tracking back uh, as the third guy um 
but that's kind of how it's gone for Truba. Hasn't played well, and every mistake, whether it's his or somebody else's, when he's on the ice, seems to end up in the net. And it's a lot, you know. Like we're going to talk about Igor Shesterkin, as we always seem to do in our middle segment in a few minutes. <laughs> but um, Truba has the C sewn on his jersey this summer. He's talking a lot to me and to others about his, you know, in digging up, you know, talking to business leaders and reading books about leadership. He's he's a guy who was already really the the leader in the locker room. Uh, you know, he's talked a lot about the the power of positivity and staying uh, upbeat with his teammates and with himself and with the media. And it's been a grind. You know, he's obviously hurt. Um, it's an upper body injury. We don't really know what it is, uh, but it's clearly hampering him. He hasn't practiced fully. I mean, he's he's when he does practice, he's out there the whole time, but he's missed a few days to for maintenance. Um, so he's a bit physically compromised, which is a big hit to a guy who plays a very physical style. Um, and he just doesn't seem like himself, which means that a lot of the attention of the slow start has fallen to him. Yeah, you've been in plenty of locker rooms, Steve, uh, different captains, people with different leadership styles. How hard is it for a guy who's supposed to be the guy that brings everyone together to lead when you're not either feeling yourself well physically or feeling well mentally? It's it's really difficult because you know as a teammate, the captain cares deeply about his own career, but he cares just as much about yours. And you always feel that because captains go out of their way to let you know, right? And I remember once where Chris Drury came up to me after a game we played against Vancouver at home, and it was a five-on-three that I got thrown into. Tom Rennie threw me into a five-on-three. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the Sedins and a, and a guy named Kyle Wellwood, if you remember him. Sure. So they were all around the net. And I get – so Chris Chris comes out of the bench. He goes, hey, Valley, I think you're going in. I'm like, no, Rosie just took another one. Michael Roosevelt just took another one. Right? I'm like, you don't go in on a five-on-three. He's like, no, I get ready. And Tom came down the bench and he goes, Valley, what are you doing? Get your shit on and get out there. <laughs> so I have to get out on the ice for this five-on-three. And I pulled a couple of saves out of my ass. Like, I mean, just flew across with my blocker. It happened to get hung up in my blocker thumb area. Got a save that ricocheted off my shoulder. The Sedins were going through their legs. It was just a, a complete gong show. And I somehow get out of that game without surrendering a goal. I get through the five on three. And Chris comes right up to me at the end of the game. And he sits next to me in the stall and says, Valley, that was awesome. And you were an inspiration for all of us. And I want to let you know we got your back. And like it was just one of those messages from, from the leadership group from one of your friends. But... There was a level of respect there for the backup goalie, and I felt it. And and I know that it's really important that when you're a captain, when you're a leader, that you always recognize these small little inputs that the fringe players uh, make amongst the core group to be successful. Now, I don't know, and I have been in locker rooms where guys don't feel like they have the platform. And of course, I'm not in the trenches right now, but I know it's hard for Jacob Truba right now under these conditions to be able to not play his best because he's playing through an injury, you know, and, and there's a difference between being hurt and injured. And I believe he's injured, but he's, that's how tough he is. So he's playing through an injury for the greater good of everybody. And he's the captain and he feels the weight of the world. And I think it's hard because you don't feel like your voice is being heard if you're not the best player out there, mm -hmm. you know, and this is one thing I notice every day when I'm on the ice, 
most drills start with me. The first pass usually starts with me and I've got three other forwards on the ice. We move the puck around and we attack the net for a drill. Now, if my first pass isn't perfect to the first receiver, for some reason, if you paid enough attention to this, the next pass is off. And then the shot that's delivered at the net misses the net. And I always come, it always comes back to me and it dawns on me, I'm like, I'm an idiot. I got to be better on my first pass. <laughs> like it all, there's always a domino effect in the game. So when you look at wanting to play faster, see, I don't think the Rangers look particularly fast this season, right? But how well are our D moving the puck to our forwards to make the next play? You know, that's, that's what they would be saying internally. How well are our defensemen moving the puck to our forwards to make the next play? Because I believe that your zone exit success rate needs to be about 60 to 70% of the time with possession, getting out of your zone. So you have five in the pitcher, you're going up through the neutral zone, you're able to attack with support, and then you get in and you go to work. But there are certain tendencies that I feel as the coaching staff you're looking at that need to be vital to being uncheckable. And you can't rely on flip outs, off the glass and out, rims. They don't lead to any next play opportunities. So the thing that's probably bugging Jacob the most is that, you know, his first pass hasn't been there and they're not getting out clean. And that's really setting that domino effect up through the next three zones where you're not seeing five connected. So, uh, yeah, I feel like there's probably a big responsibility and a burden on him right now. And I hope he gets through it or... or there's, uh, you know, maybe some healing or uh, something else that can take place that just takes a little bit of pressure off of them. Speaking of pressure, let's talk about Igor Shesterkin. Now, you saw and I heard his comments after the Devils' loss, um, where he, in English and very determinedly, you know, there are times post game where he will utilize the the trans the Russian translator who the Rangers have around in the locker room. Um, he chose not to uh, on this occasion and was very clear and said, you know, asked how the game went. He said the goalie was shit again. Uh, I, I feel bad. I play bad. I'm ashamed. These are strong words. And, you know, and, and he is a guy who has a good, I think, a better grasp of English than maybe uh, the, the wider Ranger world understands. Um, he's just a little hesitant to say things. Probably like he said, uh, I talked to Jacob Truba about Truba the other day, and I happened to ask about Shesterkin, and he said, uh, kind of wish he hadn't said that, because we don't feel that way, and I and I know deep down he knows he's good, and, and you know, I think Truba, as I said, has been accentuating the positive, and, uh, and Shesterkin has felt very negative about his own game. He talked to me about it when we were out in uh, Seattle. Um, he's talked about it after these, these last two losses that he had, he's got a bit of a reset here where he has a few days off. We don't know if he's going to start Friday or Saturday. He'll get one of them. You know, we talk, you and I have talked about him, I think on every show, that's how important Mm -hmm. he is to this team. And he's still got decent numbers, good enough numbers to be part of a playoff team, but there does seem to be something missing. And I think you and I, I think I texted you during the devil's game. You know, we we've talked about it here, how the breakaways, Clear breakaways. Igor was terrific last season, and and then the half ice partials that you broke down for us, you know, on the first show. I think he was awful, and as it happened, he gave up. I think it was three of those mm-hmm. to the Devils, where he just looked lost. Yeah. So his bad luck to face a chance that he is already not good at, and then if his mental state is bad, they're all going. I mean, the the, the Tatar goal was was a real sign for me that he was not where he needed to be, and then it kind of went from there. So. Um, 
Where do you think he's at coming back in for one of these next two games and presumably a lot more after that because he's still the number one quite clearly? And when you hear comments like that and you are a goalie and you've been around intense goaltenders at the NHL level for a lot of years, um, what does it make you think of when you when you hear those kind of words from a guy after a game like that? Yeah, look, I wish he hadn't said that, but it's. Um, I mean, I wish he, I'm glad he did because it's obviously good for us here on this on the other yeah, side. Yeah, right, but, right, right. But no, I know what you mean. You know, um, funny. I was talking to Henrik about this the other day, and um, we were talking about these comments, and I said, Hank. Remember when uh, you blew up the locker room in Minnesota and Colorado on that trip? Uh, wasn't it five grand? He's like, no, I think it was more like 15. <laughs> you know, and um, it, Hank was going through a stretch where he was getting frustrated. And the problem with being a goalie is uh, you're better off never letting anybody know. Yeah. And it takes a lot of maturity to get to that point. Um, the Minnesota, Colorado trip I'm referring to, I think was in Hank's third year. So very around the same time, around the yeah. same time. Um, Shesterkin will understand that uh, you don't need to ever bring any attention on you. And I'll give you an example from, uh, from my career was uh, I smashed my stick. We were in Atlanta. I gave up a goal from the point. It might've got deflected and I smashed my stick because um much even though I was a backup, I still felt like I should always get it. Like I, I can always find a save. I never liked to to use the one. I never had a chance. If I said that, I, I probably never would have been able to play a game in the NHL because most players that put blame elsewhere aren't successful players. I smashed my stick on the ice, the heel of my stick, and my butterfly. I just went right into the ice. And Benoit took me aside after the game and he said, "Valley, you know, the second goal, you smashed your stick." I was like, "Yeah, I know. I think I should have had it." Those, you know, it was redirected in the high slot. It was deflected in a ricochet. Like, it's not one that I can put blame on you, Valley, but you bring bad attention on yourself right there. Mm-hmm. You're smashing your stick. Now the coaches think you should have had it because you think you should have had it. And that really dawned on me. Yeah. I thought about that. I was like, you know what? I need to have a very strict discipline after I allow a goal because everybody's looking at me, right, Arthur? After every goal, what do you look at right away? Sure. The goaltender. And then he grabs his water from the top of the net and then takes a drink. For whatever reason, goalies get really thirsty after they get scored on. (laughs) (laughs) But you're always looking for the response. Everybody knows that he is the uh, most important player on the team and he's your best player. And I think that the Tatar goal, the backhand goal that's from outside the slot on his backhand, he had been beaten in the previous game on the dry sidle goal where he challenges pretty hard. And he's really questioning whether the backside is being covered because he's not feeling it and he's not in a real rhythm of the season yet. And he wants to make saves. He's out there busting his ass to, to be successful. And he's leaning and he really cheats towards the Heischer pass that never comes. And now he ends up looking bad on the backhand from outside the slot area from Tatar. That's the mental juggernaut of being a goaltender. It is putting all of these past experiences out of your mind and staying focused on the here and now and just being on the puck. Because I'll tell you what, 10 times out of 10, a backhand pass that doesn't have the same pace as a forehand pass off the rush from outside the slot, Igor is going to track that pass across and be all over Heischer. Mm-hmm. That's that's not going in the net. We saw him make that save and make them look routine last year. So what it's about for Igor right now is just understanding one more time with some positive affirmation that you're the best goalie in the league. And now you just just go out there and play it straight up. Forget about trying to 
make saves, look for saves, try and get the crowd behind you by making bigger saves. Just go out there and do your thing because you're a super talented goalie and he just needs one of those games, Arthur, to just break through and remind himself of what makes him so successful. And it's always the mental game. He's just not allowing his physical skills to show up right now because he's too distracted with results. He's going through that one part of his career and it happens to be in October and November where there's a lot of focus on individual and team success. But, you know, I think there's a very strong chance that he gets through this and, and you know, he gets on a run the way that Henrik always did. If Henrik ever got sticky in a season, he always seemed to just run off like eight or 12 A games after that. And mm-hmm. then it's a distant memory. Well, he's going to have an opportunity coming up here. This uh, kind of a rare three and four homestand coming up starting tomorrow. Ottawa comes in. Uh, Chicago comes in the day after that, and then St. Louis. And those first two, you know, I think when you when you're able to catch your breath a little bit from the from the failures of the Edmonton game and the, and the failures against you know a team a Jersey team that plays that is playing faster and better probably than anybody right now. Um, you know, you have the Ottawa back to back, and you have Chicago, two teams that are not really going anywhere right now. And you got to say to yourself, you know, we you and I have talked about segments. That's a that's a five or six point stretch. You can't you can't say it's over if we don't get it. But if you do get it, that's kind of the I would imagine that that Chris Jury and Gerard Gallant and even some of the guys in the leadership group are just sort of checking a box in their minds that like, all right, we got those three wins that we wanted to get, and that maybe you tell yourself we need to get because we need to get right and we're on the wrong side of the playoff cut line as we're getting into December where the percentages start to get a little, you know, a little bit smaller, a little bit tighter. Um, and then beyond that, a tough week ahead. St. Louis is, uh, is playing better. Go to Vegas. Who's been lights out since the beginning of the year, you go to Denver, the defending champs. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of tough coming up after this, How, you know, when, when you have a little stretch like this, and obviously, you know, I think when we, like you said, we may look back at Yara Halak's performance last night in a game that wasn't spectacular by any means, but one of those had to say, win. like, yeah. yeah, had to win it. And Halak had to play well because he needed to give Igor a break and he needed to get himself right. And maybe that's the thing that, that you see drops all the pieces into the right spots, for, you know, that we haven't really seen maybe even, maybe even since opening night so far. You know, I'm going to share another conversation I had with Henrik about this. We were talking about um, Halak's 0-5-1 start um, before last night, obviously. And he said, do you think it's putting a little extra pressure on Shesterkin? Meaning that he's got to go out there and deliver all the points. Because, let's you know, this is a team game. And, uh, you know, I, I, I looked at a few things. And, and statistically, I said to Hank quickly on the call, I was like, you know what, man, I think over the last four or five years, you need to have 25 points from your backup goalie. He was like, no, no, that's too high. I was like, no, Hank, I'm telling you. I mean, I'll I'll look it up, but I'm telling you, that's what I recall. And uh, sure enough, I went back and I looked at last season, and it was only UC Soros that was able to get his team with 67 games played into the playoffs with his goaltenders back up uh, the three guys that played games for Nashville other than Soros. They had 18 points collectively. Mm-hmm. Right. And everybody else that made the other 15 teams that made the playoffs last year all had 25 or more points wow. on their backup goalies. So that's where we're at. And uh, yeah, there is pressure that 
if you're going to say that last night was the springboard game, there's a pretty good chance because Halak needed that, Shosturkin needed that, the group needed that. The team, it's just underperforming its shooting percentage so badly that it's breaking my expected goals model, quite frankly. <laughs> Two-thirds two of the 18 goals that were um, not up to actual goals in the NHL right now are because the Rangers are that behind. It's it's a phenomenon, really. Um, you know, Arthur, breakaways. 37 breakaways they've had this year. They've only scored five goals. Between Kako, Panarin, Kreider, Trocek, they've had 21 breakaways. They've only scored twice. You know, I think Kako's had that many by himself just in the last right, two and a half weeks. Right. And yeah, the luck, the broken play one is just wild to me. They're leading the league with broken plays. And it was great last night to get one back. So the broken play that is the VZ goal because it breaks off Stutzla's stick in the high slot, mm-hmm. that would qualify as a broken play. But those generally go in a lot more frequently. The Rangers have 13 this year. They should have 21. Wow. You know? So like there's a luck too. You wonder about that. I mean, I'm talking certainly when we're talking breakaways and two on ones and things of that nature, we're talking about skill, but sometimes there's luck and broken plays are just bad luck that I just don't see this continuing. I, I truly believe this team has a run of six or seven or eight in a row. And then, you know, everything is kind of righted and and things will take off, but I'll tell you what must win tomorrow night against Ottawa must win on Saturday against Chicago. And you know what? Pretty must win on Monday versus St. Louis. Like you, you got to get this thing going right now. And again, you hope that um, luck turns a little bit, but you start being a little more successful in your execution. They're getting plenty of scoring chances and they're a lot better defensively than they were last year. You know, one last thing here. I thought this was interesting as well. So New Jersey's played 23 games, right? Mm-hmm. And they've only had four regulation losses. Their expected goals that that we do every game after the game on Twitter with um, the expected goals. Let's just call it the expected goals battle. Mm-hmm. Whoever wins gets gets the win, right? Well, they're eighteen and five in the expected goals battle. That's a pretty decent record, and it reflects sure. why they've been so good. It they're certainly one of the teams that everything uh, that we see in the underlying numbers support the success they've had up until this point, and. When you look at, for instance, conversely, Philadelphia, when they were 7-2 and two and they came to New York, I was like, no chance. This team's not going to last. No chance. And sure enough, it happened. I'm saying the same thing about Detroit. Like, I could go through the league. But the support on New Jersey is legitimate. But the Rangers, who have played 24 games and have nine regulation losses, their expected goals battle is 18-6. and six. Wow. So if you're looking at the Devils, that is arguably the best team in hockey, and they are 18-5, and five, The Rangers are 18 and six. They just have an absurdly low shooting percentage and their safe percentage isn't up to snuff where it was last year. That's why it's way too soon to panic on this team. And I just feel like there's going to be a hot stretch on the horizon. Well, we'll see. uh, We'll see if it comes. So we'll finish up here with what we promised earlier. I hope you were doing at least just some thinking while we were talking, Steve, about besides yourself and Yaroslav Halak, as of last night, there are eight other goalies who have won at least one game for the Rangers and the Islanders. Are you, mm-hmm. you feel like you're up to trying to reel off as many of these as you can? Yeah, I have a few. I, All right. I think I have a guess at another one. So I played with Jamie McLennan and I that's, know he was one. That's one. I played with Kevin Weeks and I know he was one. Definitely. So you're I also two. played with John Van Viesbrook, so <laughs> I know he was one. <laughs> Three. 
Um, I, I'm aware of Glenn Healy. Didn't right. play with him, but I work broadcasting with him and love him. He is hysterical. He is. That's four. Uh, played with Mike Dunham. Uh-huh. So I know he's one of them. Five down, three to go. Okay. Um, and you have myself and Halak. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say I'm taking a stab here, but Chris Terreri? No, no. Wait, he wait, was wait, a wait. devil and an islander, but not a ranger. Yeah, not so. a ranger. Um, one is uh, uh, one is from the early days of the Islanders, and not you know, probably late seventies, early eighties oh, Rangers. Oh, whoa, whoa. Pause right there. Marty Biron. Marty Biron is on that list. There you go. Now you're down okay. to just two. Um, so an old like eighties goalie, eighties, seventies, eighties goalie for the Rangers, and then and then I'd say early, maybe mid eighties for the Islanders. Uh, and then the other one is a much more recent one, um, was, I want to say he was a Ranger briefly just after you. And then he was an Islander after that also briefly. So, you know, he's more of a backup guy. Yeah. That bothers me. That bothers me. (laughs) I I usually love, I should know this. I'm a goalie nerd. Uh, (laughs) all right. Hit me. I was going to say Glenn, uh, excuse me, Glenn Hanlon for the old, the eighties one. No, uh, the, the, the eighties one is Steve Weeks. Oh, I never would have got that. I'm not going to beat myself up about that one. (laughs) The other one you're going to beat yourself up for. It's, uh, it's Chad Johnson. Oh my goodness. (laughs) The guy that took my job. There you go. I lost my job to Chad Johnson. (laughs) Well, maybe blocking it out for a reason. So maybe, maybe. (laughs) Well, that was a solid effort though. I mean, uh, to get that many when you then the fact that you played with a bunch of them all in the same team with the Islanders I might add isn't that wild back in the bad old days but uh yeah, wild. It, it is funny to, I was talking to some Islander fans and gave them this uh, trivia question and they and I pointed out that almost all of these guys maybe with the exception of Halak were all way better as Rangers than they were as Islanders and they were like what about Glenn Healy I was like you're right he did have that great run in 93 when he when they beat the Penguins it was a huge upset but of course, then the next year he wins a Stanley Cup with the Rangers, <laughs> just to remind Islander fans who's boss in this town. Oh, it just always seems re- to it always seems to come up. Really good trivia, though. That's pretty wild. I like that. Well, good job on you, Steve. Thanks as always for your insight and your good trivia knowledge. Hey, my pleasure. That was a lot of fun. And thanks everybody out there for listening to the Garden Faithful. You can follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Leave a review if you're enjoying the show. It really helps us out. You can subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. Start with a 30-day free trial, then it's just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, you can get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash TGF. Steve Valiquette, Chris Flannery, Arthur Staple. We'll catch you next week. Thanks a lot.